Welcome back to another episode of the Four Wide Salute Podcast. Once again, I am Casey, your host. A lot of things going on this past weekend in the world of dirt racing. A lot of the local tracks were off and running this weekend, as well as some national series had some big events going on as well. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to just address the the passing of, of a few people that were you know big in the in the dirt racing world especially on the modified side of things um first and foremost offer my condolences to the family of jumping jack johnson I, I failed to mention this on last week's podcast and honestly it's i i didn't really know what to say at that point in time um been able to just kind of take that in over the last week or so and uh you know a lot of you guys that are listening to this podcast know who jumping jack johnson was and what he uh did for the the modified world especially up in new york um you know helped get super dirt week to where it got to um just an all-around talent um i did get the chance to watch him one time um i was Four years old, I went to Super Dirt Week, I think, in 87. I don't remember a thing of it. Um, But I know he was in attendance, so I can at least say I did see him, but I have no memory of it. Um, But again, I do offer my condolences going out to Ronnie um, and his son-in-law, Andy Bichetti, and the whole family. Um, Such a, a shocker. He did lose his battle with ALS, but uh, he will definitely be um, forever missed. And also the passing of um, Lee Miller, who is the father of Jason Miller. Jason used to run late models at Grandview. He is also now the car owner for Doug Man Miller, modified driver. He also passed away in the, in the past few days. Again, condolences go out to the whole Miller family, the whole Man Miller family, and uh, all those guys. From what I've been told, Lee was a stand-up guy. It was always a pleasure to be around. Uh, once again, we'll be missed in the... Uh, but uh, So on to our results um, from the local scene and some national stuff. Tuesday, Bridgeport hosted a special midweek show, The Invasion of the Posse. First time running 410s on the new 410th track, which, um, you know, there were a lot of questions up in the air as far as what kind of car count they were going to see, who were they going to get. Uh, in years past, it's been a little difficult for some of the jersey tracks to get some of the 410 guys from the posse midweek shows getting through philly um toll roads it's it can be a mess but they did pull a stellar field um as far as i know they pretty much had uh the best of the best from the posse world with the exception of lance lance deweese did not go but um they had a stellar field, and I thought the race was was really exciting to watch. I did not go. I did stay at home and watch it on flow. Um, again, getting through Philly traffic on a weekday is not fun. But um, it was a great, great race. Kerry uh, Madsen ended up winning with Tim Schaefer in tow and Mac Reek filling out the podium. Then the Modifieds came out, and from what a lot of people are calling the best Modified feature they've seen, uh, whether it's ever or in quite some time or the best one they've seen at Bridgeport. Um, I'll agree. I thought the modified feature was awesome. Um, Dominic Buffalino did pick up his second win in a row in a matter of four days over Ryan Krejcian and Mike Maresca. Krejcian and Dom put on a fantastic show for the lead. Um, again, just great racing. The track surface was awesome. 
Um, hats off to those guys down at Bridgeport. That was um, a good turnout. And I think this will, you know, they're going to have the outlaws are going to be there, I think, in May. I'm not 100% certain on that. Um, but I think this is a good sign of things to come for when the outlaws show up. And as far as what posse guys we may get to see run that event as well. Uh, on to Friday. So Friday, uh, I'm going to go to the national stuff first. USAC Midgets had the T-Town showdown at Port City in Oklahoma, which they did get their qualifying in. And then it started to rain and they had a tornado warning and it ended up getting postponed to today. Uh, as we're speaking, I think it's supposed to kick off on flow in about an hour. I was going to wait to do the podcast opening until after that but we don't know what time that's going to be and you guys don't want to hear me do this when i'm tired so i will cover what happens later on tonight on next week's episode but uh they did get like i said they did get their qualifying in they're going to be running their heat races tonight along with any Conti or uh or b main and then on to the a main uh world of outlaw sprints were at kokomo on friday Ironically, they did announce that this would have been James McFadden's 100th start with the Outlaws, and he picked up the win. Uh, Good showing from James McFadden. Outlaw Late Models had night number one of the Bristol Bash, and Josh Richards took home the win. On to our local stuff. As you guys know, I am employed up at Big Diamond Speedway, and we did have our opener finally got it in. Um... Rain did play a little factor. It did start to mist pretty heavily um, right before the modified feature, right before we dropped the green flag under pack on the track laps, um, you know, pace laps. It did start to mist pretty good. We opted to go green. Show was good. Uh, Timmy Buckwaller picked up the win. Tim Fitzpatrick in the Open Sportsman, Steve Lyle in the 602 Crates, and Andrew Fayish, the third in the Roadrunners. Uh back at it again this Friday with the Money in the Mountains 40 lapper uh, opening up to big blocks are allowed as well as the spec small blocks of course weight differential but I think we're going to see some outsiders potentially and uh, just another all around good show coming up this Friday can't wait and also the uh, Williams Grove did cancel they did um, ended up getting some rain so their 410s and their ULMS show did get canceled um on to Saturday, again with the national stuff. Midgets were back at T-Town. Uh, for the T-Town showdown, they were back at Port City. Buddy Kofoid won the feature from 16th starting spot. Fantastic run for him. Uh, from what I saw, he did not do it in any type of uh, high-wide and handsome type fashion. He really started to lock it down around the bottom and just hit the brakes and kind of putt-putt go. And it worked. Um Blew by a lot of guys that way. Outlaw Sprints were at Hobstadt, Tri-State Speedway. Heartbreaker for Sheldon Hodenshield. If I'm not mistaken, Sheldon won this race last year or the year before and put on a stellar show. He was leading. And with a couple, I think with seven laps to go, he ended up with a left rear flat, which pretty much cost him the show. I don't even know if he came back out. And handed over the win to Carson Macedo. Outlaw Late Models were back at Bristol again. That got postponed to this afternoon uh, due to rain. And Devin Moran took home the win, took the lead from Pulsar Ricky Weiss late in that one uh, to take home the 25K. 
And then Super Dirt uh, ran last night at the Nasty Track, Can-Am Speedway, up there on the Canadian border in New York. Thunder in the Thousand Islands show, they called it. Stuart Friesen ended up taking home the win. Uh, Tim Fuller was a, a close second. Um, Fuller looked really good to uh, kick off the Super Dirt season up in up in New York. So hats off to all those guys on their wins. And locally, I went down to Grandview last night. Uh, Modifieds and the and the sports were down there. Brett Cressley picked up the season opener win. Brian Herther picked up the win in the sportsman division. Bridgeport ran modifieds. Ryan Creighton got the better of Dominic Buffalino last night as opposed to Tuesday. Um, so Creighton picked up the win. The crates were won by Ryan Godown Jr. and the Street Sox were since then. Hats off to all those guys. New Egypt also ran. Billy Pouch Jr. taking home the win. Sportsman was David Burns. Wingless was Lee Nardelli and the Street Sox Rob Ornsby. Orange County had the small blocks and the crates in the house. Hollywood Craig Mitchell picked up the win. Hats off Tanner uh, Tanner Van Dorn. I believe it's his first race in the open uh, in the small blocks. End up fifth. Um, started on the pole, but held on to a nice top five. And in the crates, Joe Bruning uh, picked up the win as well. Outlaw had their opener. And AJ Slideways picked up the win in the modifies his 47th consecutive year with a feature win. I don't care how you do it. That's awesome to see 47 years in a row in victory lane. And if not mistaken, Sammy Swindell may hold that record at 48. Not sure if that record's still intact as of last year. Uh, BAPS had 602 crates for the first of their six-pack challenge they're doing. Uh, Steve Davis took home the win there. Sealance Grove had ULMS late models. Greg Satterley cashed in on that one. Uh, he seems to be really fast this year. Um, ULMS guys and super late guys up in that area, I think, need to watch out for Greg Satterley. He looks really good to start this year off. Hagerstown also has super leads yesterday. I'm I'm thinking it was uh, more of a Lucas Oil tune-up type show. As you guys know, Lucas Oil late model series will be at Hagerstown next Saturday. That's where I'll be. Uh, and Gary Stuller took home the win there at Hagerstown. On to Lincoln with the 410s. Tim Schaefer with the win. Um I think that's like his fourth win now this year, fourth or fifth win to start the season off, including some in Florida. Awesome stuff to see on the Hefner crew. And 358's win went to Hayden Miller. And, of course, we got to see Burt Wojcik in victory lane doing his thing. And Port Royal 410's win went to Anthony Macri. He took off early in that one and was gone. Logan Wagner did put on a show, I think, 18th a second uh, or 16th a second, something like that. He was on a flyer. USAC 360s were there. Alex Bright, um, again, led that one early. Dravicki was running him down for quite some time. Ended up tapping the wall over in turns one and two. Bent himself some, uh, bent himself up a little bit and held on for second, I think. If not, Briggs Danner got second. They might have been two, uh, two and three might have been flip-flop there. But anyway, Alex Bright to pick up the win. And limited late miles, Devin Hart. Second win in a row. Uh, he won at Hagerstown last weekend, and now Port Royal this weekend. That is all the news I have for you guys at this point in time. Um, like I said, I'm going to cover the T-Town showdown 
from tonight on next week's episode. Check that out on Flow if you have the accessibility to do so. Port City is a really nice small track. It's like a little bull ring for midgets. It's pretty cool. Um, but I'm going to go enjoy that in about the next hour or so. Next week, I'm not sure of my guest yet at this time. It's a toss-up at this point. So you guys can just be surprised next week. Uh, like I said, Diamond's going to have Money in the Mountains on Friday. That's where I'll be, of course, working. Um, Saturday, Lucas Oil on Saturday, uh, Hagerstown. And then Sunday is when I strap in to a big block modified down at Bridgeport with the Kenny Wallace Dirt Experience. Ten laps. God help my soul. Whippy cannot wait to see the live feed on Facebook. If you guys have the... I might actually have my wife put it up on the podcast live feed um, or just my personal page. But uh, it's going to be something to see. Never been in the car before, so uh, wish me luck. But uh, that's it for me this week. On to our guest on this week's episode, Ryan Stillwagon, the president of URC. We talk everything URC as well as a little bit into his career. But uh, very interesting stuff. URC has been around forever. And Ryan is very educated on the history of the club and uh, everything about it. So reminder, please smash that like button. Share the hell out of these podcasts. Let's grow our audience. Any suggestions on guests or topics, please send them my way uh, through Facebook. Or you can always email the 4 salute podcast at gmail.com if you need to as well. So I will catch up with you guys next week. And enjoy the show. With us today on the Four Wide Salute podcast, we have the URC president and also URC competitor, Mr. Ryan Stillwagon. Ryan, how is it going today, man? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for having me. Good to hear, man. Uh, I did, you know, want to bring on someone a little different, little different division here with the URC sprint cars. You know, I'm trying to just keep it different across the board week to week. And, uh, you know, you guys had a great opener, at least I thought so from the fans' point of view at Bridgeport. thought it was a great show. Uh, how did it go um, on your end of things? You know, were you uh, happy with how the show turned out? Um, I think it went really well for us. 33 cars was a nice turnout for an opener. Um, Ryan Smith did put on a show. I think he won from 15th. I think part of that's the racetrack and part of that was him. But the racing was great. And I think it's good anytime you can have a winner come out from outside the top five. Now, I know I've said this on, on previous episodes as far as modify racing goes at Bridgeport. It's so unique. Um, you know, it's so wide. The banking's awesome. And you just don't see anything like it anywhere else, to be honest. Um, how has it been now? You know, URC has been there a couple of times. You've been on the track a couple of times. How, um, how different does it play out? I mean, URC typically, you know, they run on bigger tracks or the banking's not as not as drastic as it is as Bridgeport. How is it for you as a competitor down there? Um, it's been a lot of fun to run there. It's been a lot different than before. I mean, it, it's still a momentum track, but you just race it completely different than anything I've raced locally at all. Um, I enjoy it. I do have a soft spot for the 5.8s. That's just kind of a place of it. Well, that's right. You have a you got your first win at the at the Bridgeport on the 5.8s, correct? My first 305 win. I've had a few good runs there with the 360 at the end there. 
and I, it's just a place that I always took a liking to. So I was disappointed to see it go. Um, this is definitely better for the fans on the four tenths, and it's putting on great racing. You can't deny that. And I enjoy running there. It's just going to take a little bit to get used to as a driver's side point, a driver's standpoint on my end. Yeah, man, Bridgeport is just. Uh, I've said it before. I'll continue to say it. It's it's got to be a bucket list track. To, to be able to have the banking like you do at a place like a Lawrenceburg, the way guys can hang the fence and kind of hold it there and not necessarily ramp up and ramp down, but but they can hang it up there for a while, like in Eldora. I mean, it, it's a beast in itself. It, it's just everything I've seen on that track has been incredible. It, it's just, you know, and, and like we've said before, too, they didn't know what to expect. Um, you know, everyone kind of panicked when the five eights was getting knocked down, like, Oh my God, it, it's over. And he took a vision and he built it up into something that has been spectacular. I mean, it, it did have one nasty crash last year, but the racing itself has been phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I, you got to give it the Doug Rose and the whole staff down there. They kind of, wiped the slates clean and started fresh and weren't afraid of change. I mean, they made change and it's turned out well and hopefully it works out for them for a long time. And looking at the schedule, you know, you guys are there again later on this year. Um, you know, from what I can see, the car count was was relatively good for you guys this, you know, two weeks ago. Um, I, I don't I don't see any downfall to that. I think you guys put on a hell of a show. Like I said, a lot of guys seem to to catch on to the groove and how the track plays out. Yeah, I want to say, I think it was, it's August 18th and uh, November 6th or something. It would be nice times to show back up down there for the URC races. We have two more shows down there. Um, I would expect good car counts again. Our last three shows there, we, I mean, we had a two-day show at the end of the year with 44 and 40 cars and our opener with 33. I really think it's been, we've had some solid cars, some real good guys and some guys coming up, some guys who have been there for a while and think we were going to put on a good show everywhere we go this year. And with 360s, so I mean, you know, normally we see divisions where there's a progression where guys are, especially sprint cars are going to go from, you know, a 305 to a 360 to a 410. But I don't know that that's necessarily the path for everybody anymore. It seems like you're going to get guys who will get up to a 360 and they're just comfortable running a 360. And, you know, we have them here in the PA Jersey side of things, but we also see them up in New York and we see them out with other series out West too, where it's not necessarily 410 is the end game for a lot of these guys. Um, yeah, let, let's face it. I mean, 410 racing, as strong as it is around here, is not the premier division around the entire United States, there are places where there just aren't any four tens and there are places where there's no sprint cars. So the three sixty deal is very big across the country. And I mean, the three fifty eight deal is a very regionally select area uh, deal, you know, basically just in Pennsylvania. So the three sixty stuff, some neat stuff um, for URC, especially, I mean, we're on our 74 season and we did really well for a long time bringing sprint cars to modified tracks and really just letting places that didn't see sprint cars a lot get to see them. And it did really well for URC, and it's still doing well for URC. But with the 305s coming in, different things coming in, sprint cars are becoming 
more regular. I mean, if you go to Bridgeport or some of these tracks, New Egypt or any of them, they have sprint cars there every couple weeks, and it's not the novelty that it was when URC used to bring them in. Well, you bring up bringing URC to modified tracks. You know, I, I can think of two guys off the top of my head. You look at a Glenn Fitzcharles who used to run modifieds, who then pretty much became Mr. URC, uh, winning his driver in the series history. And then another one that used to run 360s or used to run modifies that happened to a 360 was Freddie Raymer and pretty much hopped into a URC and killed his modified career pretty much from that standpoint. So, I mean, it bringing URC to a modified track was definitely developed some of those modified guys into sprint car drivers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of guys kind of found their sprint car start in URC. I mean, Don Kreitz. The URC champion. I mean, Kreitz was was a champion his rookie year. I want to say 82, 83, somewhere right there, or in the early 80s. Um, and there was a time, and I think safety has changed that a lot, where driver, teams used to show up racetracks and just find drivers when they got there, you know, from the modified division. Now with seats and the way people are safety-wise, nobody's just jumping in a car that they haven't seen the night of a race, but that was a big thing back in the day. I mean, you'd see Brett Hearn and them guys jump in in New York and pouch and jump in at other places, Horton. I mean, it kind of brought a lot of modified guys to the sprint car world. I mean, Gary go up doing some sprint car racing and becoming a URC champion. I mean, it was an interesting time back then. And I don't know if we can get those times back because of safety and because of all that stuff. But it was definitely had to be a very interesting time to be a race fan. So is it almost like back then you'd have car owners? Okay, we're going to go to Grandview this weekend. Uh, let's see who we can get that runs a modified to run our UOC car. It was almost like almost like how the Chili Bowl is where guys show up with cars and don't have a driver at that moment. Yeah, I mean, that there that was common for some people back then. I mean, and if you could just, if you didn't have a driver that day, you could show up and find somebody. Um, it's just, I don't think it's that way anymore. And there was a time, even 15 years ago, URC had a lot of car owners. Um, there's not a lot of car owners anymore. Most are family ran teams. But uh, I don't know. I, I just think car owners are disappearing in racing in general. I think you're right. I've noticed that. Uh, and in a lot of divisions, I've noticed that where it's, um, you know, I had that discussion with a couple of the modified guys that have been around for feels like forever, that it it's almost like a dying breed kind of thing where guys just whether it's finance, it, I think it comes down to financials, to be honest, it just it's so expensive to race nowadays. And you almost have to have a business behind you that, you know, your owner is kind of involved with to, to really fund the bill. But, you know, you may not get the crossover from modified guys as much as you used to. But I feel like nowadays you get a lot of the 410 guys that will just show up and run a 360, whether it's a regular basis or, or one offs. I mean, Stevie Buckwalder will show up. Macri will show up. Uh you know, JJ Grosso is still hanging around in the 360, but he also has a 410. There's just a lot of the a lot of the flip flopping back and forth. And now, what I think is a very unique dynamic is the USAC 360 deal with the East Coast Series. And I've noticed there is definitely an overlap of drivers who run both wing and wingless. 
Yeah, I mean, anytime we can get more 360 motors out there, we're going to get more cars, whether it be wingless or wing. I mean, it just gives you a bigger area to draw from. Um, the wingless deal has brought a lot of micro guys who are used to running wingless and want to want to go that route. Um, at that point, they can buy a wing, come run with us. And some of them may have aspirations to go and move up to 410s. And at this point, if you're running wingless 360s in the area, that's kind of where you're going to max out unless you start traveling. There's nowhere to go locally ahead above that. You know, there's no 410 wingless. Um, right. I don't know if everybody's going to try to go 410 winged or what everyone's goal is, but a lot of these kids do have goals and aspirations to move up. Yeah. And, and I think, and you're right. The micro guys are now it's, I mean, Damon Paul now has a wingless 360, uh, Alex Bright, Dravicki, um, you know, the list goes on and on. All these guys are popping up and it's awesome. It really is awesome to see, uh, the age demographic is really young with these guys. And of course, like you said, are they going to go winged Ford's hand or are they going to go the USAC 410 direction, which, you know, it's pretty much the fork in the road. But at the same time, like we said, with the 360 motors now getting out there, it doesn't take much for guys to convert over with a wing and come run one of your shows, which is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I and the nice thing about the wing 360 deal, I mean, if you want to go run New York, you want to go run the Carolinas or down in Florida, you can do that. I mean, we've been to Eldora. We've been to Knoxville. You can hit all these big bucket list tracks, I guess you can call them, mm-hmm. with your 60. I mean, you really can't do that with anything else unless you have a 410. Right. Yeah. And, and to that point, too, I'm looking at the schedule for this year, and you go pretty much all over – you know, the PA, Delaware, New Jersey um, area and at least hit every track. It seems like once maybe there's a couple that you don't hit. The interesting one that I caught was uh, Cumberland. So how did I don't you guys didn't run Cumberland last year, right? Uh, it was on our schedule last year, but we did not make it because that was right around COVID time and they were not able to open up in time. OK, Um I want to say it's probably 95 since our last trip to Cumberland. Oh, wow. So this is going to be definitely interesting and fun for a lot of guys as we're all seeing it for our first time. Okay. Um, It's right there with Bedford. The fans of Bedford have always treated us well. And we've enjoyed going there. And Todd kind of contacted us about a date. So that's a neat two-day weekend with two tracks pretty close. Hopefully we can all kind of hang out and – Get ready to go racing on Saturday night after Bedford. That's awesome. It's and again, it's always good to see a, a new track pop up. Um, you know, I've given kudos to to Brett Dale with his series and bringing in new tracks as well. It, it's just awesome to see it spreading, bring in new fans, bring in potentially new drivers uh, who don't necessarily run these other tracks. And the other one, I think everyone's super excited for this year. Again, it's kind of like it was for for Bridgeport last year. We don't know what we're going to see, but what are your hopes for Bloomsburg? Um, hopefully we'll put on a good show there. Again, that's a nice deal where it's going to be a even slate for everybody. No one's going to have an advantage going there with a lot of laps. Um, they have Steve O'Neill there working, which is always a great person to have running and helping with your racetrack. So 
I'm hoping that's going to be a good show for us, especially if we do a Bloomsburg Grandview weekend, which I think is going to be a great weekend for the club and for the fans. Oh, yeah. I think you guys always put on a really good show on those those three eighth uh, third size tracks. Um, you know, it's not where you catch lap traffic too quick, but you catch it well ahead of halfway get to see some great moves through lap traffic and some great late race action. Um, but I have never seen a bad URC show at Grandview that I can remember. So I think along with going to Bloomsburg, it's going to be a successful weekend for sure. Yeah. I mean, the big half mile tracks that I mean, central Pennsylvania is famous for seems to be a, uh, I don't want to say a way of the past, but it's starting to change where people are really liking the smaller stuff, at least as far as our members go. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to get to some of these tracks that are a little smaller. Some of the 358 guys will probably show up. They feel that they can compete there uh, with their motor because we do allow 358 cars to run with us. So it should be a good run or a good night for everybody. Even maybe some New York guys will come down. It's not too awful far for them either. Well, and that's a and that's another good point. You have two touring series up in New York that are 360 deals as well. Um, most notably that I can remember, we we see Pauly Cola Giovanni come down quite often from New York. We've also seen guys like Davey Franick go up and actually win one of the series up there. So again, it's another thing where you see guys cross the border back and forth. And uh, again, the more motors that are out there, the more drivers that are out there and teams, I think it's a good thing for every all parties involved, really. Yeah, I mean, our schedule is a little on the lighter side this year. I think we have 19 point races. But our guys do have the options to, to travel a little bit, to go up to New York, hit a couple of their three-day weekends. I mean, any chance our guys get on off weekends to go up there and run with the Patriots or ESS, it's a great deal. I, I enjoyed a couple of races last year going up there. Um, over the years, we used to go up there to – Outlaw, or I believe, I believe it's Outlaw now. Mm-hmm. A couple of those tracks in New York. I mean, it's always nice to travel a little bit and get out of your comfort zone. So, do you at this point with making the schedule each year? Do you, being that there is two traveling 360 series up there, do you do you tend to stay away from going up into New York nowadays? Um, Kurt Michaels doing a lot of our scheduling, but kind of New York is more or less off limits for us. I mean, not that we wouldn't venture up there, but we don't get the cars up there. Our guys don't travel like they used to. Okay. I mean, URC used to be up in New York a lot, and they kind of stopped going up there, and that's kind of what started the surgence of the 360 groups up there. Yeah. Um, and and, 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 you know, and as we looked over the, the prior years, too, there were – I was really surprised. I mean, of course, I'm not going to know about the history of URC going back into the 60s and 50s and 40s, but I was really surprised at the tracks that URC went to. Quebec, Canada, um, you know, Fonda, Brewerton, Orange County, all those New York tracks. I was like, I would have never known that – the club traveled so far and even down south into South Carolina or, um, you know, North Carolina, those areas, too. I would have never guessed that at one point the club really did travel that far away from that, you know, the Jersey PA hub, really. Yeah, I mean, there there was a time where if you wanted to see sprint cars 
at a lot of these modified tracks, whether it be in New York or even down in South Carolina. It was either the Outlaws or URC. I mean, we've been around for so long. Canada was a regular stop on the URC schedule up until the early 2000s. Wow. I mean, so it, it's kind of interesting. There was a lot of New York drivers who were regulars with URC. I mean, I believe it's a Patriot show at Fonda. They have the Earl Halliquist Memorial every year for our 360s. I mean, and Earl was a URC champion. I mean, he's never he never raced in the time of the Patriots or ESS or any of them. Right. But it's just, you know, honoring sprint car drivers from that area. That's pretty cool. So one thing I did want to touch on, too, um, you had mentioned that, you know, about the drivers themselves making decisions. And I love the fact that URC is a racing club. And no lie, I like the like the quote states, this is not just a quote, <laughs> this is the true facts, that the drivers are making decisions on rules, uh, picking tracks to go to, etc. How, so you've been around other series as a driver, uh, how is the difference with now being with a club where it is pretty much a, a vote? from all of your teams as into what you're going to do moving forward? Um, it's different. It, it does, I think, help having the teams make some decisions and showing interest in their racing. I mean, other than just their own personal car. And I also think it kind of builds a little camaraderie between the teams. I mean, you have to talk to each other here and there. and You're more than just competitors on the Uh, ESS is also a club, so I mean, it's not, it's the area is used to some sprint car clubs and some deals. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, there's always going to be issues that arise that people just aren't going to agree on. That's never going to happen. It, it's, it's a constant thing in every division of racing, pretty much in every sport. It's there's always going to be something that guys don't agree upon. Now, when it comes to URC, do a lot of the teams help each other out? Like we we tend to see that with, you know, like the outlaws. Uh, when a guy comes in for a hot pit, you'll see multiple teams coming over to try and help. Do you guys see that type of camaraderie on an event where you guys are running? Um, I think you'll see a lot of our guys. If someone's having an issue, they'll check on each other throughout the night. Um, we don't you won't see a lot of our guys work on cars under red for like a work area. They will help each other when they can, but very rarely do guys get back out with us. Um, some tracks let us do have a work area, not every track, right. just kind of keeping the show moving. So most of our guys aren't really prepared to make cha the change front axles or do anything. Not be, I mean, that being said, if someone does come in with an issue, there's usually a few guys over there from other teams still. I mean, there's still the camaraderie. There's still we're all out here together. We all race with each other every week and we all kind of take care of each other. Yeah, I love seeing it, whether it's on the the outlaw level of things or it's on your regular Saturday night track. I love seeing the camaraderie. And I think a lot of guys are just under the understanding that, look, if I can help this guy out and I can make it that he shows up next week, that's the car count. I can help make sure they come back. And also, if I got an issue, I know 
he might have my back too. I, I love seeing that across the board. I think a lot of people on the other side of the fence are under the impression it's so cutthroat and guys hate each other and it's, you know, a war. It's actually really different when you get down to it and get to know everybody. It, it is really, um, you know, I saw it last this past Saturday at Grandview. There, uh, one of the sportsmen guys was having issues and they got help from two of the modified teams that were trying to get prepared for their feature. It, it's just, it's awesome seeing that type of camaraderie going around. Yeah, I mean, especially with us, the success of URC is important to every team that we have. I mean, because it's just going to help us in the future. Right. It's the same thing. It's going to help bring guys back or help them succeed, which helps run the club, helps bring another year of success. And, you know, at this point, I think you guys are shooting for 100 years, and I don't see that being an issue at this point, the the way the club's being ran and how successful it is every year. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope it goes for another 74 years. I mean, if they can stay around forever, that's, that's the goal everybody wants to see. So, and in that respect, um, you know, you are on the younger side. You're only 30. How did you end up getting in the position of being president? <laughs> wow. Um, so, the club's been around for a while. And the club had a short stint there where it turned into a company and was no longer a club. Um, a couple guys got together and kind of reinstated it into a club back in 2015. Um, Kurt Michael and my brother were a big part of that. Um, Bill Gallagher was the president then. And next, Rick Weller filled in after him. And at that point, when I know he was kind of looking to move on i mean i kind of filled in i kind of felt like i was the guy who's been there the longest that i you know i've made probably 90 percent of the urc shows since i was 15 since 2006 so i kind of just felt like it was my job and how and so last year was your first year as president if i'm not mistaken how was that uh how was that change for you from going from just being a driver or a crew chief or working on a car to now having this title and having these responsibilities. How was the adjustment last year? Well, the pandemic definitely made it interesting. Um, and it definitely takes a toll on my racing without a doubt. It does take a toll on my racing. I think part of that is I've changed my crew around. I've lost a couple crew guys. Um, I really, before this, did not do a whole lot of 360 racing on my own. So I'm still kind of learning that aspect and worrying about a lot of other, other, a lot of other things throughout the night. We got a real good group of officials and help, and that's starting to make my life easier. But I still can't turn off my brain to at least worry about the club. Oh, I completely, I completely get that. It's, I've been a president before of an organization, and it is, it, it's. It kills you with your brain because you can't turn it off. You're exactly right. Uh, I mean, and a lot, like I said, we got some really good help lately, which has been a lifesaver for me. Um, and most of the teams have been doing a real good job. If they have an issue, they they talk to the race director or they'll even call me Sunday or Monday or during the week and 
we'll talk about what, what happened, what we have to work on. I mean, we work hard on trying to figure out what we need to fix when we do have an issue. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just a tough deal to do it all. Uh, luckily I do have a really good group of people. Yeah. And I, and I know firsthand, one of those good people is sitting in the same room as you right now. Casey's done a great job, uh, with her end of the business and what she's been able to accomplish over the last year. And now with this season as well, how is she helping take some of the, the load off of your shoulders and been able to take, take over some of those things? Um, she just does everything. I'm just a pretty face, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, she's done a great job with sign-ins and payouts and all keeping track of points and doing all that. I mean, she kind of just does everything. Uh, my living room's a little messed up with some paperwork and stuff, but it, it's a lot of work for the two of us, but we enjoy it. And like I said, she does 90% of what I have to do. That's good. And I completely know how the paperwork can overtake your life. My wife would have the same complaint. All the paperwork I've managed to create for Big Diamond over the last three years has been absolutely ridiculous. Um, But uh, no, it's, you know, the work pays off. It's what you put into it. And like I said, um, just from last season with you guys coming up our way, and uh, what I've been able to see from a distance, you guys are, are doing a great job with the URC club. And, um, you know, I wish you guys nothing but success from this point on and, and forward. I appreciate that a lot. I mean, it's a lot of people behind the scenes working to make it successful. We've had a really good group of drivers coming in, a lot of young guys. It's been a real mix of teams, which has been a lot of fun. And, um, I know me and Casey have enjoyed getting to know a few of the newer teams and continue friendships with some of the older teams. And I really think the the club atmosphere is really starting to come back in the, in the group. Yeah, I can see that. I can. I, I think it, it's a, it, it's almost like, you know, like a, like a varsity football team where how many guys are coming back? How many freshmen do you have? And it's, you know, I've been saying this for a while now. There's a big coming of younger talent that is coming up through the ranks in all forms of racing locally. And I think you're now seeing where your your age demographic is getting younger and you are getting these younger guys up there, people that are new to the system, new to the club, new to the division. And it's, it's a changing thing. Um, you know, we don't see... Davey Frantic as much as we used to run in 360s. We don't see Mark Smith as much, Uh, whether it's travel or or whatever the case may be. We are seeing a lot of new faces, which I think is good for the future of of the club. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a real good deal. I mean, I think a lot of the younger guys coming in, it helps, too, that Casey, myself and a few of the people are in that middle ground for a and age, I mean, hey, I mean, I might be 30 and some of these kids coming in might be 17, 18 years old, but it's not as big of a gap if when you're dealing with a bunch of, if they go in, sign in, talk to a bunch of people in their 50s or 60s. Yep. I think we all kind of have a little more in common. Obviously, racing is a big thing in common with all of us. Um, last year, Adam Carberry was able to win our championship. I mean, he's on the a younger guy, and a family team. Uh, it was real nice to see him win the championship hopefully he can 
defend this year. I know he had a little rough start at Bridgeport, but it's going to be a tough year with a lot of good cars. Yeah, yeah, that it, it's going to shape itself out. And, you know, it's one of those things where it all depends on who shows up and at what tracks they do and how they impact the points, because you're going to get a guy like Ryan Smith who, you know, may focus primarily on a 410 ride, but you never know when he's going to pop up or Macri. Um, you know, I saw that diamond and I was, we were all surprised that Macri rolled in, but it's one of those things where you just don't know hundred percent of the time who's going to show up and might spoil the party. Um, yeah. And I really think we're the way things are looking this year, we're going to have more people running for the championship than a few years past. Um, now that could change as seasons go on and people decide that, hey, I've had some bad luck. Or, but I really think we're the way it's looking. We have we're going to have more people running for the entire season. Um, Macri showing up at Big Diamond last year was a really neat deal. Yeah, that was it's nice. That was it's crazy nice when those guys come, and it's also nice when they come outside of their comfort zone. Right. It's tough to go to Port Royal and try to beat Anthony Macri. It's tough to go to. Williams Grove and try to beat them. Mm-hmm. I mean, those guys are good and they're good everywhere they go. But when you get them out of their comfort zone, they're still going to be tough. But at least you're on a little bit more even playing field. Right. I mean, and I think when a guy like that shows up and he draws the eyes to your product, it gives all those guys who are out there in the heat races or in the or in the B mains or the A main, it gives them a little bit more of a spotlight, which is always a good thing. You know, a lot of people ragged on Kyle Larson last year, running all the stuff that he did, winning what people said was way too much. And it took the fun out of it and it spoiled the party of things. But you know what? It put eyes on the product and it gave all those guys a spotlight. And I don't think it hurt in that regard whatsoever. No, I mean, it's always great when you can have those guys who do have the star power, I guess you'd call it to come and race with you and like you said put eyes on your product and show that we aren't we are good i mean we're not terrible teams we we run good we race well with each other and we have a strong feel we really do mhm uh, and as far as i'm concerned i feel like the, they always have as long as i've known but you know it's just people's opinions and well we all know everyone's got one but uh on that note i do want to what kind of switch gears and you know talk about your career a little bit um you know i remember the first time i saw you race was in a 305 down at down at grandview and for the first 30 minutes that i knew you were on the track i thought they kept saying that it was robbie in the car and i'm like i don't think that's robbie and um didn't know he had a, a younger brother at that point so um, how exactly did you end up to where you are now as far as a driving standpoint? Um, yeah, it's not. it wasn't uncommon for them to call me Rob when I was running the 305. Um, so I grew up running quarter midgets. We ran them till 2002. Then my brother went micro racing. I took two years off. In 2004, I started running 270s, um, ran them for two years. Uh, in 06, that's when Rob went URC racing his rookie year. Um, so that kind of became a Saturday night home most times. I would find someone to go with on Friday nights when I was still running Bridgeport with my micro. Um, 
about 2010 or 11, I made the decision that I was going to be crew chief on Rob's car. He kind of went through a couple people and asked me to take control of the operation. We went racing and we had a lot of good years together. Um, around 2012 or probably the end of 12, I blew up a 600 motor and I, it was going to go back together. I don't know when it was going to go back together, but we were having fun. Me and Rob were racing. We were running all over the country and having a great time. Um, I was down there in Atlanta at a cousin's wedding, and I got a phone call from a friend of mine who had fielded 305 sprint cars there with Sean Campbell and Jim Campbell, and he said, hey, we wrecked a car last night at Big Diamond. Um maybe we can put something together for a race at Bridgeport. You know, do you have a car? I said, yeah, I got a car, you know, and he goes, well, you want to drive it for a race? I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, I ran that deal there. That was the 89 car. We kind of had laying around, ran that. Next, you know, we probably ran five more shows that year. And then we made it to 11 and we kind of just ran when, when URC wasn't running, when there was an opening, we just ran. So we never ran a full season, never did anything. Um, and then here we are, we made the switch to three sixties and we're kind of running full time now. So when you got your start in the quarter midgets, did you have, I mean, like, did your, did your dad or any family member used to race or was there any tie to, you know, or did they just spectate at that point in time? How did, how did it come about that the decision was made for you, for you and your brother to, to start racing? Um, my grandfather had some cars as long as I kind of remembered. Uh, mostly in my time, he had vintage cars and stuff. But uh, my dad was going and working on modifieds, you know, up at Grandview, down at Bridgeport, all over. And I think mom got tired of him not being home. <laughs> and it decided that if he wanted to go racing, uh, he can go racing with us. And she bought my brother a quarter midget without talking to my dad, without doing anything. And I guess she's the one to blame for all this addiction here. <laughs> and that's what it is. So, and that's what it is, folks. It is an addiction. We we all will admit to that. I mean, so that's that started. I mean, I was probably two, three years old when my brother started running quarter midgets. Um, obviously, my uncle Fred, Fred Kennedy, is a huge part of my racing right now. Um, and with the sprint cars, he raced in his day. Um my aunt Susan raced. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was kind of a family thing, but no, mom, mom who had no ties to racing bought the first race car. That's pretty cool. But that's, that's a, that's a neat story. Cause you def, you know, in that regard, you would not expect a mom of all people to do that. A lot of moms are like, no way you're not racing. It's safety issues and this and that, but that's a, uh, that's pretty cool. So when, so when you were wrenching on your brother's, uh, 360 and you know you were only racing Friday nights you were primarily more I would say more focused as being a crew chief for his team was was there a point in time where it really wouldn't have bothered you to stop racing uh, to be honest with you I kind of assumed my career was over or if you want to call it a career I mean I was going to put that 600 back together and I was going to play but I really had no no intentions of going any further or doing anything out. It was just going to be a toy. Um, we were doing a lot of racing. We were me and him were running all over the place and we had a good group of guys and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then 
hey, things happened and I got a chance to run a 305. Actually, I mean, I ran a 305 in June of 13 was my first time in it. And I didn't race all that year except for at the start of the season. We had won the champ- the URC championship in 2012. And I put together a car just to go to a practice session. And I just wanted to go practice a sprint car. And I went to a practice session and practiced a sprint car. And if you would ask me then, that was that was going to be the end of it. You know, I mean, I was going to play with my 600, but that, that was the end. Oh, wow. So... Now you said you know you had family that were that was working on on modifieds at Grandview or Bridgeport or wherever. What made I mean I'm guessing your brother had something to do with this as well. But what was the decision to go sprint car instead of a late model or a modified? Um, my dad always told me I can't race anything I can't pick up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, besides that, I mean, like I said in 2006 when we went sprint car racing, I mean, Rob went and drove uncle fred's 89 car i mean my uncle fred had i mean he had modifieds there but at this time he had sprint cars whether it be with his 89 or the 56 cars that had numerous people run urc in so i mean there was a garage with sprint cars in it and that's just kind of where we ended up so at that point were you you were a fan of sprint car racing though before that all happened though right um i had World of Outlaws 2002 video game that I played some sprint car racing on. I think we all had that. I think we all had that video game for sure. That's that's um, definite. My first time seeing a sprint car race was the 2006 URC opener at Bridgeport. Oh wow! And that was that was Rob's first race. So no, I spent all my Saturday nights and all my racing nights. I was whether we were running micros out of, down at Bridgeport or out at Hill Valley or Trailways or anywhere. I mean. We were racing. I didn't have time to go be a fan. And that's that's a very unique perspective. It really is. Because, you know, you always hear a lot of the same type of upbringing where, yeah, I grew up going to this track and I love those cars and now I drive one. So it, it's very interesting to hear someone in your position now that, you know, like you said, 15 years ago, you hadn't been to a sprint car race and now you're the president of the URC. And that's that's very and it's very interesting to hear. Um, so was your brother supportive when you decided that you were going to then focus on your career at that point? Um, yeah, he, he's been extremely supportive. Um, I mean, when I first kind of went 305 racing, I talked to him first. And like I said, we went racing when he didn't. I mean, he was still priority number one. Mm-hmm. Um, then he kind of had some concussion issues, and I ended up driving his car for the remainder of the URC season just to keep a, a car on the, the series. Um, and at that point, we kind of made the decision that he was going to run one, maybe two more years and be done with his head deal. Um, he has since been running a real limited schedule, but it's he's been supportive. I mean, he doesn't come with me all the time. And I kind of get that. I mean, when he quit racing, kind of decided that it was it's too much of a commitment. It's it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. Obviously, he lost me as a crew guy or I lost him as a crew guy, however you want to word it. So it's a, it's a little tough and time consuming. So I get the fact that he doesn't want to commit the time and come with me all the time. And he kind of told me, he said, if I'm going to do all that, I might as well race myself. Oh, yeah. He's probably going to get that itch. You know, I can't imagine guys... 
I, I just had this talk with with uh, a couple of guys the other week that are now not going to be running on a particular night to come with their kids that are running crate cars. And it's it's like it's a completely different dynamic. And they're like, oh, my God, how am I standing here in the pits watching these cars on the track? And I'm not out there in mine. So I'm sure he gets that itch. Yeah, I mean, and I get it. I mean, he he has a wife, a daughter at home. I mean, he has had the concussion issues. I get you can't you can't commit as much time as it takes. It's a it's a huge commitment just being at the shop, mm-hmm. getting the cars done. Um, and then even when you go racing, I mean, it's a full day at the track, and then usually a full day washing and servicing the next day. Not not counting prepping for the following week. Oh yeah, it, it it's. Anybody that has had the chance to be at a shop, know somebody who runs a car, owns a car, or, you know, talk to a driver about how their week is leading up to and then the days that follow after one night of racing, um, it's in it's an incredible amount of time and dedication that goes into maintaining. And especially if you want to be successful and you want to go out there and win and you want to win points and you want to make a name for yourself, it is an immense amount of time that goes into all that. Yeah, I mean, I joke all the time that, well, one, if I could find some help, that would be uh, that would be great. But I think the average age of the people that help me is like 62 on my on my car. Um, I got a lot of older guys that, I mean, are just there hanging out, having a good time, help me when they can. But it's very limited as far as crew help comes on my team, and I'm thankful for the guys I have. Oh, yeah. And I just told uh, we just talked to Jeff Allen last week about that. And I, you know, the one the one good thing about this, this local grassroots racing is when you go into a pit area, the guys that are working on the car, they are relatives or neighbors or old buddies. It's not hired people that are coming to help that there's really no camaraderie amongst them at all. These are all guys that you'll see sitting around afterwards or at the shop, you know, having a beverage together and and shooting the shit it, it's not so much a business as as much as some people may may think it is so help is you know it look we all know it don't pay i mean some guys will give you you know things here or there or they'll buy you dinner or you know whatever the case may be but for the most part all the guys that are in the in the garage wrenching on cars they aren't they're doing it for the love of it they're not doing it to get paid and yeah, and I I think that's actually one of the downfalls that I have with URC. I mean, as much fun as it is to travel and see all these different places, it's tough to find help to travel. I mean, URC is very spread out right now as far as where the teams come from. I mean, a lot of guys in that eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. There's teams out there by Sealand Grove, teams down in southern Delaware. I mean, we all have tracks that are close to home, and then we all have tracks that are three and a half, four hours from home. Oh yeah, and you're, and sometimes you're racing on a work night. I mean, a lot of your a lot of your races are not during the week, um, if any of them are. So that that kind of helps. But your whole night's shot, your whole day is pretty much shot if you're helping on a car. So right there, you're you could pretty much kiss your weekend goodbye. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I wonder. I mean, if it would be easier to find help if we are racing. You know, 20 minutes from home mm-hmm. but hey i mean i enjoy the traveling part of it i enjoy seeing different places and the fans at all these different places as different as they are i mean the fans are still passionate everywhere you go and it's it's fun to see 
Oh, yeah. I mean, and even I had a neighbor growing up who actually uh, wrenched for Robert Yates Racing back in the early 90s. And back then, they didn't have guys that traveled full time to every cup race. He was located in PA, you know, with me. And he would only go to work at Pocono, Dover, Richmond, uh, New Hampshire and Watkins Glen. Like he didn't go all over. They they actually broke them out by section. So it, it's even on the professional level, it's not that easy to find the help that you need. It's it's not at all. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's been it's been tough to find a lot of help on the on the car. Um, luckily, as far as the club goes, we've had some some good help. I mean, Casey's done a great job. Um, picked up. Burt Wojunk this year, who's been a great help when he shows up at the URC races. Um, we have Keith Harrow, uh, his brother Scott, doing some racetrack in and helping us. Brian Seidel filled in over over at Bridgeport, which he did a great job and a great racer in, in his time. Um, but no, we just have a good group of people as far as helping on the club right now. I'd like to find a few or another person to help on the race car, though. <laughs> there you have it, guys that are listening to this show. Uh, if you have some free time and you might be in the Jersey area, contact Ryan Stillwagon. He is looking for help. <laughs> I'll take it. And at this point, anything's better than what I got. Yeah. So my, I hope you're my first not listening. <laughs> so as we uh, as we wind this down and, and kind of wrap up this conversation, um, you know, on your side of things as a driver, what are you looking to accomplish this year? <laughs> Casey just said that uh, she wants to drive a 305 this year. So <laughs> maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll hit a practice session or something. Um, I need to get, I just need to be more consistent. We need to get better. I mean, my equipment's there and I just, I've been missing something here for about a year. Um, hopefully we can knock off a couple top fives it's been a while i mean we had one or two two years ago and last year was a struggle um i just i'd like to be a consistent six seven place car right now and let the better runs come but we need to just get better i mean and i'm just asking this just because i'm curious so being the president of the club do you feel like you're racing the car differently like you're not trying to race guys as hard or, you know, maybe do a little rubbing that you may have done previously before you were in the position you're in. I'm going to tell you no, but you're probably right that you probably do change the way you're driving as a driver. I want to tell you that I don't do that. Um, I think it's almost a secondhand nature kind of thing where you're wearing that, that president tag and you know, any little contact or maybe, uh, you know, you gave, you didn't give a guy room or whatever the case may be that you're going to hear about it because you're in a position uh, of power basically where it, yeah, I mean, I, I think I might worry about it a little more than I probably should. I think most of the guys are pretty good at knowing that there's a difference between me on the track and me off the track. You know, when I'm racing, I'm racing. And when we're doing URC, we're doing URC, but I could see that. I could see maybe being a little more concerned. At this point, though, I mean, I've been struggling. Last year, I struggled so bad that I don't think I could have rubbed somebody if I wanted to. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I think Casey kind of made it publicly known on Facebook last year that you, you definitely had a had a hell of a time in the race car. So, I mean, at this point, I think it can only go up from from where it was, right? Yeah, I mean, oh, I, I thought things were going up the other day. At Bridgeport was a 305, and uh, that went down really quick. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get going. We'll get better. Um, you know, it's, it's been tough. Because, like, I was, we were talking the other day, I don't remember the last time I really ran a full 20 race season or so. I mean, last year was shortened with the pandemic. Um, the year before, I was shortened with an injury. And that was before that. That was when you like hit the, that was when you hit the uke tire diamond, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I didn't really hit a uke tire unless you want to call well, that big mountain over there a uke tire. The tires up on the outer side of turn two. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was not a fun wreck. It wasn't fun for me to watch from the booth. I can tell you that because it looked like you hit like a ton of bricks. Oh, I did, I did, and I really hit a ton of bricks the next morning when I decided I was going to look at my race car and made it about ten foot out my bedroom and halfway down the steps, and that's where I laid. So I decided I need to go get checked out. Oh wow. So that that was interesting. I, I called Casey. I said, uh, Casey, I said, I need someone to uh, take me to the hospital as I was in pain. Oh, wow. So that that was a that was a fun one. I mean, I, I enjoyed Diamond, though, and I enjoyed the race. Although, if we could have made that ambulance ride a little smoother on the way back, I remember telling them guys if they could not hit as many bumps, that would have been nice. Oh, you ain't kidding. Believe me, I... It's uh, it's not the most pleasant uh, pits. Uh, it's not the most pleasant parking lot, to uh, to say the least. It is just full of potholes, divots, bumps. You name it, we got it. <laughs> no, but they've been doing a great job up there, even getting stuff upgraded and changed around. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're working like hell to uh, to try and become one of the premier places to be on a Friday night. And we're always glad to see URC back on the schedule uh, twice this year. Going to be great shows. And, uh, you know, I wish you guys success in the, in the club and yourself personally this year. I hope everything uh, works out. You know, we don't need any Mother Nature playing games this year. And I think you guys are going to have a hell of a season. Thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, we've actually been decent with weather at diamond lately that used to be like a kiss of death up there for a while when we when we were going there it always felt like it rained out every time but we've been decent up there the last few years as far as weather goes yep yep but uh, i you know everywhere you go i hope the same thing i hope you guys don't get rained out especially when it comes to bloomsburg and and even cumberland where you haven't had a chance to race so uh i hope you guys get them in and and hope it's uh top-notch stuff Perfect. Thank you very much. I hope you get to come out to a few of these shows. Well, you know, I'll definitely be at two. Uh, <laughs> Bridgeport, the end of the year, I'll probably be there too. And I'm not sure what other ones I'm going to see. Maybe Sealings Grove, isn't that part? No, that's after Speed Week. Nah, I'll be at some of them. Oh, here. There's a Bloomsburg on a Sunday. That, that's right up your alley. Oh, that's perfect. Even Port Royal for Speed Week, I might be there as well. So I'll I'll be in attendance definitely at some of these. I actually want to catch the uh, the ASCS if I can. Uh, I have yet to be at an ASCS race. I think that would be an awesome show as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know 
who's on the ASCS tour anymore, but it's always nice when they come in. Well, so that should be a good good deal. The one guy we know that is not running ASCS anymore is Hafford Sape. He's running four tens with the Outlaws this year. So I don't know either. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about that the other day. I'm like, I wonder how many cars they're going to bring in. I mean, I know they still have a few, but I'm just not. I couldn't name you five anymore. So, oh, uh, I we'll when I see the pools that come out from uh, from Lonnie for ASCS, I'm looking through these groups and I'm like, I have no idea who any of these guys are. But they end up with like 45, 50 cars down south. It's like, well, I guess they got car count somewhere. So, don't put, don't pick me on any pools. I haven't seen your name yet to decline it. So even better, you're still batting. You're still batting. Even. <laughs> so before I cut you loose, uh, anybody you want to give shout outs to thanks to. Um, I'm just going to thank my, my girlfriend, Casey here. Uh, she does a lot for me and she's sitting right next to me. If I don't thank her, she might, she might be a little upset. I, you know, I ran last Friday or whatever, the 26th on her birthday and, I did an interview after my heat race win, forgot to wish her a happy birthday, and I'm still hearing about that. So <laughs> I, I want to thank her. Um, I'll I just, mention you hit a youth tire. Oh, and I hit a youth tire, if you couldn't hear that. I heard um, I thank, heard that happened. I got to thank Claudio, everybody, Fred's trailer parts, um, speed equipment racing engines for my racing, Ray Dunkley. I mean, like I said, he's a big part of bringing me back racing. Um, Uncle Fred. And just everybody who gives me a hand, whether it be with the club or with my own racing, um, it's appreciated all around. That's awesome. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the president of URC, Mr. Ryan Stillwagon. If I don't catch you at any of your early season shows, hoping May 1st for Sealands Grove. But if not, I will definitely see you May 21st up at Big Diamond for the first of two URC shows up there this season. So I will catch up with you at a later date, my friend, and uh, wish you the best of luck, man. Perfect. Thank you very much, Casey. I appreciate it, and good luck with your podcast. Mm-hmm.